0: Thanks for tuning in to Redeeming Grace Bible Church. Here at Redeeming Grace Bible Church, it's our full conviction, as Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We pray as a result of this sermon, you come to see and know Christ more clearly and if you do not yet know Christ, that you might also come to see him as Lord and Savior.
1: So
0: First Samuel
1: chapter 18, picking up at verse 17. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, Who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Meholathite for a wife. Now Saul's daughter Michal loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David, and David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged on the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servant told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed two hundred of the Philistines and brought the foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michal for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal's daughter, uh, Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle. And as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul so that his name was highly esteemed. And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father seeks to kill you. Therefore be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have, been good, have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Um, Saul swore, as the Lord lives... He shall not be put to death and Jonathan called David and Jonathan reported to him all these things and Jonathan brought David to Saul and he was in his presence as before and there was a war again and David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand and David was playing the lyre. and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear But he eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. But Michal took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came and behold, the image was in the bed with the pillows of goat's hair at its head. Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Now David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Nioth. And it was told Saul, Behold, David is at Nioth in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying and Samuel standing as head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. When it was told Saul, he sent another messenger, and they also prophesied. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Then he himself went to Ramah and came to the great well that is at Seku. And he asked, Where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they are at Naoth in Ramah. Then he went there to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel And lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets? And we remember once again that though the grass withers and though the flower fades, that the word of our God remains forever. And let's ask for the Lord's help as we look at this passage together. Father, we come before you and we, Lord, praise you as the Eternal One. You who are, Lord, infinitely wise and gracious and powerful and so lord we know that because your word is is breathed out that it is also uh, holding for us the unchanging truths of who you are and how you have worked on behalf of your people lord we know there are many uh, different cultures and times represented here things that may cause us to scratch our heads and wonder but lord we we pray that you help us to to see Uh, These timeless truths and your character that is revealed uh, through all of these events. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be steadfast, even as we see the example of David, Lord. And we can benefit from the Psalms and these insights into what was going on uh, in that time. And so I pray you help us to be attentive, to gleam from your word, to be nourished by your spirit. That we might ultimately behold Christ and rejoice in his uh, kingship and his salvation that has been given to us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> so the, uh, this morning we're continuing on in the narrative of Samuel as he records for us this transition in the leadership of Israel. And last week we saw this split reaction to David's great victory over Goliath. Initially, all were rejoicing and celebrating at the victory that God had won through David. But then as the people began to praise David more than Saul, Saul became extremely angry and set himself against David and we saw even an attempt on David's life with his spear back in verse 10 of uh, chapter 18 and this really sets then a entire flood of attempts on David's life at the hand of Saul it it picks up this uh, account of David's continual attacks from who would become his own father-in-law but Even more than that, his own king, the one who was supposed to protect him and lead him, had set himself against him. And there's many uh, contrasts and even ironies that you begin to pick up here in this account. That David had slain the giant with a spear and caused the enemies of God to flee away. But now we have the king of Israel threatening David with his spear and causing David to flee Away, and the entire work is, is set up so that we begin to pick up these strong contrasts in David, who becomes very much a portrait of, of Christ and is obviously the forerunner of, of Christ as the, the Davidic king, the one whom God would establish his covenant with. And so Saul, in many ways, becomes a, a picture as well of the anti king, the anti Christ. As it were, the man plagued by an evil spirit, setting himself against the Lord's anointed and continually attacking him. Now we have to remind ourselves of a few, a few things, and this is partly what makes uh, narrative scripture so difficult to to preach. I've uh, enjoyed the study very much, but it is also very challenging. And part of that is because we have some things very much in common with David and with the people of this time and then there are other things which we do not have in common and, and so we have to be careful that we uh, don't misapply some of the, the things that we're teaching here and uh, the guys that went through Ben's teaching a few weeks ago he re- reminded us that narrative is not always normative which just means that we're not to necessarily take the accounts of what we read happening and then try to, to immediately apply those very same events in our own life We're looking for those timeless truths that we see, these revelations of God's character that are consistent and then seeking to bring those to bear on our own lives. And so it it can be extremely challenging not to go into uh, applications that are not fitting to the text. So uh, just a, a quick reminder, a few things that we obviously share in common with David and the people of this time. We are all born under the... Uh, within the covenant given to, to Adam and Noah. We are the descendants of Adam and Eve. And therefore we are all affected by the fall. We share physical and spiritual needs with these people. Which are common to man. We are image bearers of the most high God. Though this image has been marred by sin. We share with David. If you are a Christian, if you are looking unto Christ, then you share a common faith. A man who's been called by God, who's placed his trust in God and enjoys the fellowship of the Spirit of God, seeking to be his ambassador in the world. There are obviously parallels there for us. But then there are things that are not in common, which we also need to remember as we look at these passages. Of course, David is born in a very unique time. He's a Jew of the tribe of Judah. He's born under the... Abrahamic and Mosaic covenant. And so those, those, the implications of those covenant are binding upon David, upon his life. The Mosaic law and the civil law. He is born into a theocracy, a nation that is ruled under God. And so they are in many ways at times the extension of God's judgment upon the nations. And so we see some of these things playing out in David's life. We know David would also be given the promise of kingship, which we cannot say is is true of us in that sense to be a king over Israel the 12 tribes david is also later established as the federal head of the davidic covenant we've looked at that and so there's there's implications there for david as god is working through him and 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 building the the clearing the way for for christ the messiah to come through his line so we have to take those things into account uh, just as a reminder. And there may be times, especially just look at some of these passages, times when we may wrinkle our nose in disgust and wonder, uh, how, how is this happening? And other times we may scratch our head and wonder, what is going on? What does this mean? And we have these cultural differences. And so that it can be extremely challenging for us. But I pray we do see some common ground this morning. That I think all of us can relate to times when our life seems to be all of a sudden uh, entering into a season of of storm or trial or difficulty. Or maybe we simply look around at the the culture that is raging against the Lord and against his anointed, the kings of the earth, setting themselves against the Lord. And and we can feel vulnerable. We can feel uh, as though that we, we will be overcome. And so we share that with David. And I pray that we can also see the faithfulness of God to defend and to guard his servant, to guard David, to guard his anointed through these times of trial and suffering. God was faithful to uphold him through various means and through various ways, though his very life was threatened. And we share in that sense a promise of God's faithfulness of his Keeping us, of His preserving us because of what Christ has done and our identity in the Lord Jesus. So this morning we'll see since God guards His servants through various attacks and trials, that we should continually entrust ourselves to God. We are to entrust ourselves to God continually, daily, through all the circumstances that come against us. Because God is faithful to guard over his servants. We might ask the question, what types of attacks does God guard his servants from? And we see some illustrations here in the life of David. And through all of them, the Lord's faithfulness... And one of the great blessings, as we looked at last week a little bit, of of these accounts, is that we also have the Psalms, which give us further insight into what's happening within the heart and mind of David as he's going through these experiences. And we, we are reading some of these experiences that David went through, and you can couple those with the Psalms and see how is it that David strengthened himself in the Lord, and even the Psalms we know would point us to the experience of Christ, who also strengthened himself in the Lord, though he experienced sufferings and persecution. So just as much as we can to summarize this section here, I want to look first at one form of attack that comes against the servant of God. And that is uh, classifying it as a spiritual attack. And I know I mentioned this last week as well. But it is important to note that back we saw the first attempt on David's life in verse 10. We didn't read that this morning, but it's interesting to see the connection with the spear being picked up by Saul and hurled at David, connected to this evil spirit from God, we're told, that comes upon Saul He's given over to rage. He's given over to to irrational anger and hostility towards David. And each time this happens, he attempts to kill David with the spear. And so, of course, Saul is is accountable for his actions here, and he is responsible. But there is obviously a spiritual element, and we have to remember that Saul is the one who rejected the word of God, who refused to obey God. He is in many ways a man under the judgment of God. It reminds us even as Paul would uh, say to the Corinthians. That the one who was walking in blatant and and open rebellion against God. To hand him over to the devil for the destruction of his flesh. That he might repent. And, And that's almost a picture here with Saul. The Lord has given Saul over to these evil spirits. As a form of judgment. Which ideally would have resulted in Saul's repentance. And at times it seems Saul almost comes to that point but he continues on and so there is not only a physical attack here but i think there's a spiritual element that we can see as well and the same thing happened not only in, in verse 10 of 18 but of course after uh jonathan had talked to his dad and it seemed that there was going to be peace between saul and david saul even made a vow in nineteen six, as the lord lives he shall not be put to death but we find there is war and David goes out again. He is triumphant over the Philistines. And this jealousy and this anger and rage again rises up in Saul as this evil spirit plagues him. And we're told in in verse 10 that again, Saul tries to pin David to the wall. Which is a total of three times. Because back in 18, we're told there was twice that David evaded him. And now a third time Saul tries to pin David to the wall with a spear. And don't miss, as I said, the the irony here. that, That Goliath, coming to David against him with a spear, mocking his God, mocking the people of God, David defeats him and is victorious. The Philistines flee away. But now Saul, the man plagued by this evil spirit, is assaulting the king's anointed with his own spear and and David is having to flee away and you begin to see the the larger picture then we have the spirit-filled man of god who is pursued by the man affected and and tormented by the evil spirit pursuing his life seeking to destroy him and it, it brings to mind that that ancient battle of The offspring of the woman and the serpent seeking to destroy and this enmity that exists between them. And we see that manifesting here between David and Saul, the one clutching to his power, the usurper of the throne, really at this point, because God told Saul, you have been torn away, Saul. Saul should have abdicated. He should have handed over, even as Jonathan did, his sword and his bow and his royal clothing should have been given over to David as his son Jonathan did. But Saul would not. He refuses to abdicate the throne and give it to the Lord's anointed. And so, as I said, we want to be careful. But as we consider our own life in light of such attacks, we may not have physical spears hurled at us I, I pray that's not been your experience. Although as we look around at a a raging culture. I mean I've just recently there was a man. Who was out uh, doing street preaching. And he was shot. uh, Right in the head. And and by God's grace this man lived. And certainly we don't have to look very far. And this was just in the United States. uh, A a month ago or so. And, And we don't have to look very far to see that sort of hostility. Still against the Lord's anointed. Against those who have the spirit of God. But there is a reminder for us that we are in a spiritual battle. Even for David, I think the same application applies which Paul would make in Ephesians. That it's not simply a battle of flesh and blood. There is always a demonic element. There is always a spiritual element that we are engaged in a war. Even raging in the heavenly places. And this is not that we walk in fear and trembling before the the hosts of, of, of the devil. Christ has conquered the devil, he is more like a, a wounded animal that is flailing about trying to, to destroy as much as he can before his time comes and he is cast into the lake of fire. But nonetheless, Paul would tell us in Ephesians 6.15, in all circumstances to take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And I don't know if Paul had this incident in mind Saul hurling the spear at David, it seems the sort of imagery that, that Saul has in mind that the attacks that come against the Christian hold up the shield of faith, Paul says. And with that shield of faith, you extinguish all of the darts that come against us. Even as David read, uh, uh, David Bosma read uh, from Psalm 56, we see David in times of, of, of attack and of persecution. He would say, When I'm afraid, I will trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. I, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? David learned in such times to strengthen himself in God, to trust in God. And in that way, he is holding up the shield of faith, saying, Though my circumstances seem to tell me that I'm going to be undone, I'm going to be destroyed, David holding up the shield of faith, saying, No, in God I trust. I have placed my life in Him. I will praise His name. I will not be afraid. I will not cower to the threat of flesh and blood against me. I I will continually hide myself in God. And that is exactly how we hold up the shield of faith. Preaching the truth to ourselves. Abiding in the promises of God. Reminding ourselves of the character of God. And by His Spirit... we we remain and we see the Lord protect and give strength and give grace. So we see God guarding David against even forms of spiritual attack. But secondly, God guards his servant from vicious traps. And because we see God continually do this, we also can entrust ourselves to God that he too will guard us even when there are traps lay before us and men seek to deceive us. God is able to hold his servant fast through the threat of vicious traps. And we have a few here that are set for David in these passages. The first one seems uh, especially cunning because Saul is going to use his daughters as a snare. In fact, this is the, the language that we're given here as um, Saul is thinking about how can I destroy David, he decides that he will have the Philistines destroy David. And this is what he says at the beginning um, of the passage we read, verse uh, 17 and 18. Saul says, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And so he comes up with this idea that he he will give a, a daughter to marriage to David and David responding in, in something of a common, you know, uh, Middle Eastern response of this kind of pretense of humility. Well, who am I? Who is my house to, to do this? Uh, which, is, which is kind of interesting because when David killed Goliath, he already had earned the right to marry one of Saul's daughters. This was one of the um, the, 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 the gifts given from Saul, supposedly. In chapter 1725, there was the reward of riches, of One of Saul's daughter in marriage, of their house being free, if they would slay the giant. So really, David had already done what should have resulted in a bride of one of of Saul's daughters. But Saul here is laying a snare, a trap for David, and that is very evident. So at first, the first daughter... uh, For whatever reason, Saul decides not to give her to to David in marriage. We we can speculate as to why that is. Maybe she uh, wasn't interested. Maybe, I don't know. There's always political reasons, it seems, that kings would uh, give their daughters in marriage. And so maybe there was something else he decided would be more profitable for him. But it comes to light that Michal loves David. And as Saul is made aware of this, he decides that this will be a way in which he can have David be destroyed by the Philistines and comes out with this uh, very bizarre plan that that the bride price for Mikal will be a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And again, this is not something that that the Lord had commanded in, in any way. This is one of those things where we look at and we're like, this disturbs us, which it obviously should. Um, you know, we think of maybe the. Within our own North American context. Some of these forms of, of uh, trophies. We think of the, the scalping that used to take place. And these horrific means of, of uh, slaughter. And it came you know almost as a, a trophy in those times of war. And, and this whole picture is disturbing to us. But we, we don't want to, to miss what's going on here. Saul has come up with a plan. That would force David to engage the Philistines. And he assumed David would be overwhelmed and destroyed but in the midst of that God preserves David he gives him victory over his enemy and he doubles the payment for his bride and Saul's plan is foiled the trap is sprung and David is preserved by the hand and mercy of God and then we have in the added problem for Saul now not only is David alive but he has the loyalty of Jonathan and he has the loyalty of Michal his daughter is now loyal and loves David and so the more Saul tries to destroy David the more it actually builds him up and affirms him before the people and bears witness to the fact that the Lord is with him that in verse 28 is such a key statement this is what is underneath all of these events. The Lord is with him. And so God is preserving him. Now the second trap that Saul lays in for David in nineteen one Just simply tells his servants and his son. That if they have opportunity. They should kill David. Essentially this is the, the wanted poster on the wall. I mean we. Uh, you know Again. Thinking of the old Western movies where they have the, the wanted criminal and his picture goes to all of the sheriff's offices. And if someone can find him dead or alive, then they will reap the reward. And, and this is essentially what Saul does. He, he lays another trap. He, he asks his household. He asks his servants. He tells them, if you have opportunity, then kill David. Destroy him. I want his life. And even in this, we see the Lord raise up a deliverer in Jonathan, the the son of Saul, who talks to Saul. He reminds him that David has not sinned against him. He has been a loyal, faithful soldier in his army. He killed Goliath. I mean, why would Saul want to bring innocent blood on his own head? And it seems that it works. This uh, particular trap seems to be averted. Um, Saul even swears, invoking the name of the Lord, that David shall not be put to death. Of course, we know soon Saul would be again uh, set against David. But in this, we do see God is able to deliver his servant from vicious traps and deceitful snares that are laid for him and an attempt to destroy him as well. And we can see um, throughout church history, Time and time again, God has graciously preserved his saints in order to preserve his word, in order to preserve his gospel, that his church not be destroyed, not overcome by the plotting of the devil. And of course, we, we know there are times when Christians' life are taken. Today, there are more people martyred for the sake of the gospel than any other previous time in history. And so at times, the the preservation of the the saint, of the servant of God, may be referencing even the ultimate preservation, which comes through the deliverance out of this life, from this body, brought home with the Lord. Because even as David would say in the Psalms, that that he is not afraid of what man can do to him. It is that reminder that man, yes, can destroy the body, but God delivers us from all of the schemes of the devil and is able to deliver our very soul into his presence. And so either way, for us as Christians, for us who seek to serve the Lord, we may see the Lord deliver us presently from snares and traps, as even he did David. But we know that ultimately, even if our body is destroyed, our soul will be kept unto the Lord and this should be a great cause of, of comfort and, and rejoicing for the Christian the Lord enables us to press on he enables us to, to overcome even the beast by the word of our mouth and the blood of the lamb we overcome and God preserves us and he's able to spring all of the schemes of the devil listen to uh, again I know we've read this last week but I want to reference it again because we're told in Psalm 59 that it was one that David actually wrote during this time when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him so right around these events David at some point pens this Psalm and we see David acknowledge in verse 3 For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord. For no fault of mine, they run and they make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs, prowling about the city. There are bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips. For who they think will hear us. But David responds as he strengthens himself in the Lord. Again holding up the shield of faith. He says, but you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. And David Continually strengthening himself. Reminding him that the Lord is sovereign even over the scheming and plotting of man. And the Lord holds him in derision. Psalm 2 tells us the Lord laughs at the nations that rage against him. Laughs at the rulers that set himself against the Lord and against his anointed. And David reminds himself of this. And God graciously delivers him. And even for us today, we know that there are many today who hate the church of Jesus Christ. They hate the gospel of Jesus Christ. They hate the word of God. I mean, many of you are, I'm sure, aware of even the the, the chaos in our own province as our premier is trying to pull back the reins a bit on all of the the transgender nonsense and, 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 and just delusional thinking that is so present in our culture. And then we have now people... Um, protesting in Calgary against these measures, that they're oppressive, that they're too restrictive, and we we know for sure that that such a mindset, such a culture given over to this kind of delusion, is going to continually plot against the Christians, plot against the people of God, and that can be a cause for fear in our souls. But when we remind ourselves that God is God overall, He's able to deliver us from all of the snares of the enemy, from all of the traps that are laid for us and for our children. As we trust in the Lord, He delivers us. And we know even behind the efforts of man, there is this scheming serpent always plotting, always seeking to, to bring us back into bondage. And this is why Paul would also urge in, in Ephesians 4 14 to to continually hold fast to the word being built up in the knowledge of Christ so that we will not be subject to the schemes of the evil one we continue to build one another up that we have discernment and are not overcome so God is able to save his servant from spiritual attack from vicious traps and deceptions and also God we see guards his servant Against the wolves that pursue his life. We see this here in David's life. Those who pursue his life coming as wolves. This is the imagery David uses in Psalm 59 that we just read. They come to the city howling like dogs looking for meat to devour. And a number of times in our passage, we see this sort of pursuit on David's life. We have the picture of David in his home with his newly uh, his newly married wife, Michal, and then and then Saul has this plot to send assassins essentially to his room, to his house, and kill David. And Michal comes up with this plan to somehow she's made aware of it. She helps david out the window and 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 the the classic move we've probably seen even i know my my boys have tried this on us when you stuff some things under the blankets and you make it look like someone's lying there and you have the little uh you know something fuzzy to make it look like hair in the bed and and it will stall mom or dad for maybe five or ten minutes maybe if you kind of glance in the room and and make sure okay they're still in bed i guess everything's okay the lights are off and kids aren't up roaming around and, uh, and this is what she does in order to buy some time for David to escape these assassins, these dogs, as it were, that come to take his life. And of course, Saul is furious at this. He realizes that his own daughter has plotted against him, prevented him from triumphing over David. He then sends his agents, as it were, to Ramah, where, where we're told David went to meet Samuel. And Samuel there with almost sort of a, a, a we could say a Bible college or, or something of a school of the prophets, spirit of God, working in their midst, prophesying, and, and now it's as though God himself will stand against the attempts of Saul, God previously using the ordinary means of, of circumstances and the, the help of people, whether it's Jonathan or Michal or Saul's aim with the spear. Of course, God was the one working in those circumstances to guard his servant. But now here, as they come to take David and they come to destroy him, they encounter the, the raw power of God, the spirit of God that, that essentially paralyzes these pursuers of David's life. And they are caught up in the spirit of prophecy in almost a, a humorous way. Until finally, Saul... Mumbling under his breath probably, you know, if you, if you want something done right, then you have to do it yourself. And he goes out the door and he says, I'm going to go get David myself. I will solve this problem. And then this section ends with Saul himself being caught up by the Spirit of God. Prophesying, proclaiming who God is. And then this very strange ending for us. We wonder what in the world is happening here. Saul, we're told, strip, strips off his clothes. Maybe more a reference even to his outer garments. But then we're told he lies naked all day and night. And we have this familiar statement we've seen before. Is Saul also among the prophets? And we wonder, what is going on here? What, What does this mean? Well, I think fundamentally we see again. God keeping and guarding his servant. From an attack. From these dogs. These wolves that have pursued him. And what's interesting is. We saw Jonathan willingly take off his kingly, or uh, he would have been a sort of a prince of Israel. He takes that off and gives David this cloak. He gives David his sword. He gives David his shield and his armor, willingly, submissively, with love and adoration in his heart towards the Lord's anointed. Here Saul, by the raw power of God, does the same, but it's clear that this was not Saul's intention in going. It's as though the Lord humbles this man, reminds him that he actually is not the king, and he has no right wearing the kingly garments. And so God really uh, puts this man into a a state of, of shame and humiliation, and guards through this David, his anointed. And what a... What an incredible picture of God's provision for David in very unique and surprising ways. But the principle that I I want you to, to really grasp is the Lord's faithfulness to his servant, to his own. His ability to keep and to protect despite all of these attacks that come against us. And as I mentioned, we see in David also this foreshadowing of Christ himself. It's, it's no wonder that Jesus so often referenced the Psalms. In fact, even as Jesus hang, dying upon the cross, he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which was not Jesus saying that God had in fact forsaken him, so much as it was a way of Jesus to point to the Psalms. Because at the time, the psalms did not have numbers so much as we reference them with numbers today. They would have referenced the psalm by the opening line of that psalm, perhaps. And so it's fascinating to me that as David experiences these sufferings and he's, he's holding up the shield of faith, he's, he's casting himself upon God and upon his faithfulness and God delivers him, that that is, yes, true for David and he's an example for us in that way, but it also is, is a foreshadowing of Christ and Christ himself would say that he is revealed in the Psalms. And so as Jesus, even upon the cross, would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the opening words of Psalm 22. And you read through again the experience of David there. The afflictions and the suffering, the attacks and the persecution that he experienced. Christ ultimately experienced as our perfect substitute. Verse 14, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evil doers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But there again in 19, David would strengthen himself in the Lord. As all of the saints have strengthened themselves in the Lord. And Christ would strengthen himself in the Lord. He reads, we read in verse 19 of 22. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And just this this psalm of acknowledging the suffering and the struggle and the pain and the persecution, but continually casting oneself upon God. And we rejoice that we can come to God also as his beloved children, as his anointed. If you have been given the spirit of God, if you have confessed your sin and placed your faith upon Christ then we're told you are given the spirit of God he dwells within you in that sense you are anointed of God through Christ who is the true anointed and you too experience the Lord's protection and provision all of his promises we're told are yes and amen to us in Christ Jesus and so we must daily preach this to ourselves and hold fast to God who is faithful for Christ has already purchased us unto himself there are so many uh, psalms i know we can't go on reading the entire collection of psalms but i do encourage you to um maybe look up some some croft ref- references and just see how continually david cast himself in the lord experienced the lord's help and and thinking about how that even points us forward to christ One more psalm, Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. This is the experience of David. And I believe it ought to be the experience of every Christian. As we rejoice in Christ our Lord. The Lord is certainly able to deliver us deliver us from attacks of the evil one he's able to, to, to deliver, deliver us from deceit and snares and traps that are laid before our feet he's able to deliver us from those who would pursue our life pursue our freedom in christ we strengthen ourselves in the lord and paul even gives us the promise in 1st corinthians 10:13 that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man god is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This also is a blessing. God will not put us into a situation in which he does not also give us the grace to stand and to remain steadfast and to turn from that temptation. Of course, we know David was not perfect. He would at times sin grievously against the Lord and then he must return and come again to the Lord for grace and mercy. And that may be our response as well. If we find at times we do give in to doubt, into fear, into compromise. There is always a path back to the cross. That we may find forgiveness and help in our time of need. And so I pray that you learn to strengthen yourself in the Lord. To experience his protection and provision. Not only when, when things are going well and, and there seems to be a time of prosperity. But also when the storms of life come against you. When you feel the, the intensity of the battle. Know the goodness of God and his faithfulness to keep his servants. Let's pray and we will have a closing song. And Lord God, we, we do thank you for these promises that have been given to us in Christ, Lord we know that uh, whether it's David or Abraham or, Lord, uh, our brothers and sisters around us, we think of men and women throughout the ages who have exemplified this sort of faith in you, Lord. We know it is all because of Christ, is because of your grace. And so I pray that you help us to be steadfast. Lord, help us not to give in to compromise or to fear, but to take up the shield Of faith and cast ourselves upon you to proclaim your excellencies to ourselves and to one another to rejoice in Christ our conquering king. Lord who has overcome and Lord will certainly return. To glorify all things and to forever drive out all wickedness from the earth. Lord I pray for steadfastness and joy in your spirit confidence in in your word for each one here this morning lord help us to to also go out into a world that desperately needs the light of the gospel though the truth may come to them in a and seem offensive we pray that it would would wound unto eternal life and uh, we just entrust ourselves to you as we go into a new week and we ask this all in jesus name amen
0: Thank you for tuning in to this sermon preached at Redeeming Grace Bible Church. If you'd like to find out more about Redeeming Grace Bible Church or find other sermons and resources, please visit us online at www.redeeminggracechurch.ca. We pray that the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.